Good day, and welcome to Sea to Ski with Sarah and T, putting the P in professionally managed vacation rentals. This is the Vacation Rental Management Professionals Podcast, coming to you from the Outer Banks of North Carolina and from the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. I'm Sarah Bradford from Winter Park and Steamboat Springs. And I'm Tim Cafferty from the Outer Banks of North Carolina and Sandbridge, Virginia. Together, we bring you the first podcast focused solely on professionally managed vacation rentals across the nation, or as we like to call it, Sea to Ski with Sarah and T. In the next 30 minutes, we hope you'll join us on our journey as we dive into issues affecting folks like us, the professional vacation rental manager, allowing you to run your business more effectively, make more money, And most importantly, have fun doing it. So welcome back to Sea to Ski with Sarah and T. Hey, Tim, this is the second of a third-part series we're putting together on how a vacation rental manager can squeeze 10% more profit from your daily operations. If you guys listened to the last episode, we covered how to get more out of your expense side of the business and spend less. And today we are going to talk about how to get more out of the revenue side. But before we get into that, we've heard from several of you for the last week. So Tim, give us some shout outs. Well, first of all, I have to say, Sarah, that it is what they call it, trending on social media when people have a subject that they really love. So trending on social media is you should get a vault to take care of your chemicals so you watch your expenses. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) If you listen to the last one, you know why I'm saying ding, ding, ding. I did hear from some people that thought that was a very good idea, though. So just so you know. It's like a new, exciting idea out there about having a vault for your chemicals. Yeah, it's a little expensive option, but it works for me. So I will say that that episode actually had more plays on the first day of its broadcast than any other one we've had in our history. So I think we hit a nerve out there, and hopefully we can continue that today. And on the shout-out phrase, first of all, a friend here on the Outer Banks, a lady by the name of Kelly Harmon, who I see every now and then, and she is not a vacation rental manager, but she saw me recently at an event, and she said, you know what, I started listening to your podcast. I love it. I don't know anything about the vacation rental business, but you guys are great. So there. Thank you, Kelly. And we would be remiss if we did not give a shout out to Robin and Heather Cragen of Moving Mountains, one of Sarah's competitors who we've mentioned several times. They were profiled in a rival magazine, and it was very interesting how their whole Caribbean life kind of moved to the mountains, and they move mountains for their guests. And so... Good on you guys. That's the shout-outs for this week. Okay, and Sarah is also moving mountains, okay? She's also doing that in Steamboat. I've heard that's what you people do out there. I thought the Arrival magazine was good. This edition from VRMA, you can tell that Amy Hynotes magazine is definitely pushing VRMA to step it up on their magazine. I used to be on that committee, and it wasn't the strongest. So good job, VRMA, for rising to the occasion So we're going to get started. Like we said, this time we want to focus on the other side of the ledger. And there's ways you can be more profitable on the income side. So we're going to go through those in in our typical fashion, step-by-step process. This time it's 11. So we're going to have to get moving, Tim. I'm going to start us off with number one. Number one is pricing your properties properly. So 
when you think about making more revenue, a lot of times you jump to, we should have another revenue stream. We should sell this new thing that we've never sold before. But you first have to start with how much are you giving away in discounts? What are your rates? And Tim's going to talk about raising your rates and things like that. But as you get bigger, you might always be offering 15% off here, 25% off here, and it adds up. And an interesting data point to run, I would challenge you every six months is to find out how much money you gave away in discounts. Our software company that we use, they let you run a report that shows how much money you discounted on any coupon you offered. And it's interesting to see. Now, you might say, well, I wouldn't have rented it if we hadn't discounted it. True. But think about if let's say you're at 5 million bucks, you always give 10% off. How much is that, Tim? Are you listening? 500 grand over time. So I'm not saying you can't discount, but it's a needed exercise to remind us. Do you have sort of a carte blanche with your owners in the mountain region in terms of pricing? How does that work out? Oh, that's a good question. So Tim, you and I are always finding the ways that's quite different from Mm -hmm. east to west coast. And we do have a carte blanche. That's part of our contract and our open agreement with owners. They do not set rates. We are the experts there. How about you? Uh, Exactly the opposite, which is not a surprise for the listeners who have been with us for now the last seven months or so. This, of course, in North Carolina I'm referring to, which is the most regulated state in the nation, as far as I know, with regard to vacation rentals. And we answer to the North Carolina Real Estate Commission. So they actually look at every transaction as though it is a real estate transaction and think about buying a house with an offer to purchase and a contract, and this is the price, and you don't make changes and so on. So with our owners, we have to have a contract and we have to have the rates specified. And then if we make a change, I need a record of the authority of the owner giving me that ability to make that change. And so it is a little more tricky. You can anticipate this stuff and not just say, uh, we're going to raise the rates $100 a week. You know, that's just lazy. And that's what we're getting at. Pricing the properties properly means analyzing the market and making sure that you know that you have some sort of system that analyzes your properties, what they are making and what maybe they should make. That is one more reason I'm glad I don't have a business in North Carolina. Whoa. You mean if you are you decide you want to fill up some last minute occupancy and offer 30% off a certain set of properties, you have to get permission? I do have to have some sort of written permission. A phone call will not do it. I will have to have a follow-up email or something I can put my hand on to pull out of the file that says, why did you charge $800 a night instead of $1,000 a night? Because this contract says $1,000 and you charged $800. Why is there a difference? And I have to have that little email that says, Tim, it's okay to charge $800 a night for this time frame. Signed, sincerely, your loving owner. Oh, my goodness. Well, we're in the Wild West out here, and we change pricing (laughs) all the time. So we'll get into number two with yield management around that. But, Tim, I guess you do give pricing to them every year. And maybe the point for anybody is that I look at a lot of pricing on VRBO and compare what owners are charging and things, and a lot of people are not clued in to what to charge. That the first week of March is very different from the second week of March. Mm -hmm. And you should go, I think, that detailed on your pricing. Look at school breaks. Look at past trends. And if you can raise the rate, raise them. That is, again, that money goes to your bottom line. It costs just as much to clean a place when you charge $800 a night as when you charge $400 a night. I remember back in the day, 
We had four seasons. We had in-season. We had pre-season, which was like a three-week period prior to the in-season. We had post-season, which was that two or three-week after. And then everything else was off-season. So we had four rates for our houses. And I think it was about three years ago. I just said, you know what? We got 52 rates for every house. Every week is a different deal, back to your point there. And I think that's the standard in the industry now, if not even more than that. With nightly rates, you could have exponentially more depending on what the weekend is well why don't you get us to number two that's kind of a good segue we set it up pretty well i think there with regard to pricing your properties properly and then what do you do in terms of yield management this is the hottest trend in vacation rental pricing so you have in sarah's case i think you might call them a slope side two-bedroom condo you may have one available for that week of New Year's. What did you do? Did you lower the price to get it rented? That used to be what yield management was, right? We got to get it filled. Well, maybe you should consider looking at pricing the other way around. Raise the price during high demand periods on high demand inventory. For me, it would be the last week of July and the first week of August. If I had one house on the oceanfront available, it's probably not the best strategy for me in representing that owner to lower the price. So the right price today might be different than it is as we get closer to the time frame. And making sure you have some mechanism in place that you are yielding, air quotes, the best possible price for your homeowner. And of course, that's going to affect you folks because you're supposedly making a commission on whatever rate it is. So the higher the rate, the higher the commission, right? Amen. This winter, we were booking way too fast at our ski and ski out properties. So we just raised them all 15% across the board. Mm. I know that seems rash. We didn't have to ask the owners. And of course, they would have agreed. And we booked them like crazy and made a lot more money. So the other thing with yield management, Tim, is you really can do this manually. It's not Mm. ideal to do it manually. It's not as sleek, but it gives a lot more peace of mind than setting and forgetting a rate. Sometimes you set it and time goes by and then you realize you booked those way too fast or way too slow. Every week at our company, we go through a detailed set of reports looking at rates, booking pace by type, by area, and then we adjust our deals and we put our rates up or down that way. We have this meeting religiously. We never miss it. It's Tuesday at 11 o'clock if you ever want to show up at our office and see that we're sitting there. In those meetings, you get to talk about a lot of other things like why isn't this one booking? Why is this one booking so much? And you might decide to change the rates in general on a property that is just not performing. And so since we started those meetings on manual yield management, our ADR, average daily rate and occupancy has gone up significantly this year. That is so good and cutting edge and I applaud you. And while I talk about this yield management, I will confess that we have not done a good job of this. In fact, I am not aware of a single company in my market that does what you just talked about. Not a single one. So Really? Yes. Yield management at least on the Outer Banks, means how low can you go so I can get that week rented. And we'll talk about that later. You have a to-do item, Tim. You have a to-do item to start. I will tell you, this is my favorite meeting of the week. I love it because you're also seeing who's doing well and who's not, and it helps Mm -hmm. that you're sleeping, you know, to know who you should be, what owners are mad or which ones are psyched. Well, and you know what you can do if you're like me, and what my strategy is after this podcast, is maybe choose a couple of properties. As an example, you talked about the one with the decor episode about that it generated so much more income because of this change. If you can have a couple of great successes with yield management, maybe the owners will take off the, the reins, so to speak, and say, I approve you of setting my rates at any time. And you have an email in the inbox that 
let you do that. So yield management is number two on our top 11 ways to find more money on the income side of the ledger. All right. Number three is travel insurance. This is not for just folks like Tim and I who work in areas that have weather challenges, but just with travel insurance, we've noticed this year that Webby, our, that's who we call our internet sales persona, if you've ever listened to our podcast before. Webby sells more insurance than we do on the phone, which got us thinking, why is that? And we've decided it's got to be that we added an opt-in, opt-out option. I bet you have rules about this in North Carolina, but we don't Mm -hmm. in terms of you're allowed to have an opt-in, opt-out. So the guest has to make a choice. And it brings it to if you can train your sales agents to always give the guest a choice on the phone. They have to say, no, I don't want it. It has to be brought up on every phone call. You can raise your travel insurance sales to 30, 40, 50%. And when you sell travel insurance, that is just free money you're getting. Plus when they cancel, it's a much better conversation. We just had a guest that called today. Their son broke their leg. They're out here. He's going for surgery in Denver. It's very sad, but they had travel insurance. And so the conversation was easy. It was, okay, you're going to get all your money back for your stay, plus any medical bills you had in Winter Park, they'll be covered. Way better experience for the guest as well. This is a great example. We are just talking about yield management and having an example to fall back on. Travel insurance is a great example of your frontline people having examples where they can sell it with people who are hesitant. Because let's face it, the first time you hear about, oh, would you like travel insurance for that for an extra $200? No, 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 I'm okay. I don't need that. That's your first reaction. But if you have an operator who knows a situation, sir, I strongly encourage you to get this. You know, it's not just for hurricanes, although clearly here it is a big issue, hurricanes, and we do not provide refunds if you don't have travel insurance if there is a hurricane. So that's that helps us a lot on travel insurance sales. But it says other things. The vast majority of claims have nothing to do with weather. It's easy to make the sell when you can get your folks to buy into it. And then don't take no for an answer the first time around. Would you like it now <laughs> when they make the second payment or even right up until the time of arrival? Try again. Have some sort of a resell program. Again, back to those percentages. Move that needle from 30% to 50% to, I hate to tell you how much we sold, but it's a very high percentage. And it's made a big difference in our bottom line. Yep. And you got to track it, right, Tim? You got to know. Do you guys even know how much you're selling? You got to watch that needle and see if you can push it over. Absolutely. So that brings us to number four, and that is fees. Now, this is probably the worst kept secret in vacation rentals. And so I'm sure there's some homeowners out there listening going, what's this about? Well, we do charge cleaning fees, Mr. or Ms. Homeowner. We do charge reservation fees. We do charge credit card fees. We charge administration fees. We charge resort fees. We charge a Wi-Fi fee. We will call whatever you want to call them. We have charges of fees because we have to do that to keep our commissions as low as they can be when we deal with our owners. Now, few of you are out there that don't have some sort of fee structure, but there are some that have absolutely no idea what we're talking about. It's really the reason to be in the vacation rental business now. VRBA, HomeAway, they charge a, a booking fee. I always go back to my good friend, Al Williams, who is the first person I ever heard of uh, doing this. He was the manager of a company called Priscilla Murphy, and that was in Sanibel Island, Florida. And he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to charge a $20 booking fee just for the, the privilege of doing business with me. I'm going to charge people $20. And people are like aghast. <gasps> How could you possibly? 
And so he has promoted this at every time I've been in touch with him. And he says, you know what? All you do is owe me 10% for the idea, and you can do it too. <laughs> he retired last year, and he sent me an email, with, and he said, I'm still looking for that 10%, Tim. It's been a big moneymaker and a huge differentiator in not only my business, but most businesses I'm aware of. Make sure you have your fees structured properly. Yep, and figure out what fees you want to charge. Some of us have higher commission and lower fees. Some have lower commission and add fees because we have to be able to pay our staff and deliver excellent service. You should do the math on your fees and figure out how much of an impact that would be when you add it to each reservation. I would encourage you to work on the wording of your fees, though. I think some fees can create more of a visceral reaction with guests than other wording. So... Mm -hmm. I like cleaning fees. I don't necessarily like the word booking fee, but that's another podcast. Let's go to sure. number five, cooperative income from referring business. So this is a way to increase money coming to you in a pretty easy, not a lot of work way if you structure it right. So this might be ski rental shops, beach gear equipment, ice cream shops, can't wait to hear what Tim means on that one, or local water parks, etc. It might feel daunting, like, oh, I can't figure that out. But we've just gone to a referral link system where we get commission if guests book through links of ski rentals, lift tickets, we do in Steamboat, actually. And then also car rentals, that's a great one. They want to partner with you, and you can get lower rates for your guests than they could get on that car rental site often. So shuttles, think about transportation. Think about things your guest is going to do anyway. You're the trusted source for them. Get a little commission on that, right? And for us, it adds up to 25, 30 grand a year. And that lets us hire one more person to give great ex guest experience. What do you think, Tim? Well, again, the title of our series here is getting 10% more. First of all, we covered expense side, and now we're covering the income side. And so we may not be talking about a lot of money, but you're absolutely right. You are leaving things on the table if you don't leverage those relationships. Ice cream shop I threw on here because it's one of the latest. A guy approached me and said, if I bring you coupons for your guests and they come to my shop and they turn in their coupon, I'll do something for you, whether it be an in-kind dollar amount or maybe he's going to come to my office every Saturday and give out ice cream to my housekeeping staff. There are ways you can make more money just from your position because you are the trusted source. I think you use that term and that's appropriate to think in that way. Awesome. What's number six, Tim? Well, we are talking about more fees. My brother calls me the fee guy, and now I know why, because I've got two issues on here, and both of them have been fees. So do you charge your owners an annual marketing fee for the marketing efforts you do on their behalf? Some of you do. Others absorb this. I would just say you should consider this. If maybe you're not doing a marketing fee, maybe you charge for new photos or offer additional marketing to owners that they can opt in for at additional cost. And you could charge them accordingly for things like aerial photography, floor plans, virtual tours, enhanced nighttime photos, whatever you can think of. So throw it up against the wall. If it's six, great. If not, that's okay too. How about this marketing fee idea, Sarah? Yeah, I think you need to look at what you're doing to market properties. And if there is something extra you're doing, like drone photos or video or something that is very pricey that doesn't make sense for you for every single property, 
that could be something you charge for and offer it to them. But I know some companies who charge fees for this to everybody, you know, a marketing fee. And it really comes to what's your commission mix and what makes sense in your market. So that brings yeah, us to number seven, by the way. Number seven, moving through. No, we're doing 11 here. Maintenance plans. So some companies do this as optional. Some don't. Hopefully, you know from your budgeting that we're encouraging you to do how much you spend on your maintenance. How much are you spending, not just in work orders and invoices you get from third parties, but how much are you paying your maintenance staff? And is, is that making you money? Is that just part of your commission? We started charging an annual maintenance fee a while back and it makes billing really easy. We just charge one time an annual fee to our owners. They see all the things we do on every statement, but it's mostly always zero charge, which actually makes them psyched. So I encourage you to do that. You then have a solid amount of money you know you're getting on maintenance, plus extra, I guess, when you get a plumber out there. But it helps it be more reliable of what money you're making on maintenance. What do you think, Tim? Do you charge that? I have not done the maintenance fee thing, but I do get it. One of the things you hear most often when a homeowner might switch from one company to another is they nickeled and dined me to death. That is the exact term you hear, nickeled and dined me. And this is an area where they feel like they're being nickeled and dined because you can't possibly charge what you need to charge and make it work out fairly for a homeowner. Say, for instance, a coffee maker. If you're going to go buy the coffee maker and then go deliver it to the property, you probably still lose money if you charged them, let's say, $40 for the coffee maker. And the owner's going to say, I can buy that at Walmart at nineteen ninety five. Yeah, then you got insurance, you got to drive a car, you got the time to go to Walmart, and so those kinds of things. And you just got to make sure that you feel confident. Some companies have this as an option where you can buy into a maintenance plan, others don't. It's an annual cost to your owners that may help you do better in this department because I don't know about everybody out there, but for me, the maintenance division is a loss leader. It is something we have to have, but it is not profitable. Not saying anything bad about those guys in that department. I can't charge what I need to charge for those guys to carry their own weight. And so it is an expense, and if you can help in any way on the income side, it does help. Good point. Let's go to housekeeping. That's another place. How do you really cover your housekeeping fees? Yeah, it's a tough That's one true. as well. I have all the fees. Do you notice that? So yeah, purpose. Are you? Yes, I'm the fee guy. Just ask my brother. So you may charge a weekly fee for linens or an annual fee. Are there other areas within housekeeping that you could charge to help offset? This is the largest expense in your company. Every department needs to think of terms of running their department as a business and standing alone. Is there a way that that department can make money? So I encourage you to have those people in your department, like your housekeeping fee is the the title here on number eight. Let the folks in housekeeping think through and come up with ideas. You might be pleasantly surprised if you empower your people, like mid-stay cleanings that you can charge for, extra towel sets, or whatever your folks come up with, let them think it through and act on it. This is a fee that I think is the most palatable for guests. This is one that's, I think, more expected. And one thing about fees for housekeeping you might want to consider is the idea of a percentage of the rental amount, if you're allowed to do that. Because what we found was our rates are so much lower in the off season or the summer seasons than the winter. And if you just charge 150 bucks to clean this place, yes, okay, it might be the same amount to clean it. But that 150 becomes such a large percentage of your total rental amount in the off season versus the big Christmas week that it feels it was making people not book those small shorter stays 
uh, for us in the summer. I know not you, Tim. So think about you don't always have to charge the same fee for every time period and you can make more money. I like it. The whole theme we're trying to get across here is think it through and make sure that you begin with the end in mind, as we've said before. And so that's a good one. That brings us to number nine. Okay, new income streams. This is not so much going out and getting referral business, but what additional businesses can you have in your business to make more income? Tim's going to tell us about hot tubs, which I'm very interested in. We're getting into that too, so I'm just going to pass it to Tim. But we've been paying an outside hot tub vendor almost $70,000 a year to manage what we now have 50 tubs. And he's great. They're great. But, you know, we don't have the headache and the insurance. But it made us start asking a question. Should we just take that in-house? Because then when the certified pool operator, that's what you call that person Mm -hmm. or people, when they're not taking your hot tubs, maybe they could do maintenance. Maybe we could get efficiencies out of that. So how have you handled that, Tim? Well, you're you're bang on. I would just take exception to one thing you said, and that is that you're not having to deal with it. Well, if there's a problem, they don't care about Joe's pool service. All they know is they rent it from you. And so that's where what really got us into the business. So almost 95% of my properties have either a hot tub, a private swimming pool, or both. I had 57 pool and spa vendors working with us to clean those hot tubs and pools every time a guest checks in. And anytime there was a problem, they had no concern at all about whoever the guy was out there with the pole and the uh, sweeper. All they knew is they rented from me. Mm -hmm. And so I said, if I'm going to take the blame for it, I might as well get in the game. And so we started our own pool and spa division. We now service the majority of our pools and spas in-house, and it has become a profit center for us. We actually even sold nine new hot tubs last year and had them installed and we replaced like 50 hot tub covers. They, of course, needed replacing. Pipes, valves, motors. There is money to be made if you hire the right people and promote your services properly. And whatever it is that you see out there is an opportunity for you to think through how you can make more money for yourself. I'd encourage you to do that. I also have a uh, landscape division. I have carpet cleaning trucks. I have power washers. And so all of this is out there. If you think through, where are you paying bills to outside vendors? Is there a way that you could turn that to profit for yourself? That's a great point. And Tim, one thing, if you're not ready to have your own hot tub service, I do recommend that, did you hear the ding? It was a good idea. Good good idea coming. One idea might be that we switched that we made our owners have to use one third party that we trusted and we wouldn't take on their property if they were using anyone else. And we knew that person and that team was reliable. Strongly recommend you do that. Or you're going to be like Tim calling 57 different hot tub operators and somebody's going to get folliculitis. And if you don't know what that is, you don't want to know. And so at least, at least condense it down to one trusted vendor. I'll also throw in here on new income streams. Many of you out there have vacation rental apartments or vacation rental companies, but you do not have any kind of a sales, real estate sales division. I'd encourage you to look into that. It may be an idea that could be a new income stream for you, but make sure you consider the investment of time versus the income. It may be something you want to pursue. It may be something you go, whoa, no, because I can tell you real estate sales agents are, of course, independent contractors, and there's no reason for saying independent without saying independent as hell. They march to their own beat, but it is nice to have a real estate sales division that we have here. It's been a source of new business for us, and when a property goes up for sale, I feel like we have more control when we have it listed in-house. So another new income stream you might think about. Okay, 
right, let's go to 10. Oh, yeah, this one. Remember we talked in the last episode about saving money and banking is an area where you can shop vendors. But you can also make a bit of money by aggressively managing your money. I am aware of companies that use high-yielding money market accounts to hold their trust account funds and pay a much higher interest rate than they would if they were just let the money sit in like a standard escrow account. It may not be legal in every state, but you should definitely talk this over with your bank and make sure you are squeezing as much as you can. Again, from my perspective, in 2018, I'm going to handle $20 million in trust funds. It doesn't take a large percentage point for me to make a little money off of that. So what's that word again we're supposed to ask our bank about? Say it again. High yielding money market accounts. High yielding money market accounts. Throw that at your bank or see what they say. You could make a couple, I mean, a couple extra grand. Might as well. Sure. Just sitting there. All right. And we're going to finish it off with number 11. I added this one because it's something that's again, forgotten. You might forget that you discounted a lot of reservations and you lost that money. You also might be not watching your refunds enough and you can squeeze an extra 10% of profit sometimes just from refunds. You should have processes around this. You should have approvals. You should get some standards around how much you give away. And I do feel that 93.4% of the time, when you say to a guest, what do you think is fair to give you back? They usually will guess less than you would have given them. And reducing your refunds is just more money in your pocket. How do you handle it, Tim? I bet you have a process. I don't. You are the market leader in this podcast on this. And I was thinking to myself, gosh, we got to do that. Yeah. Because you'll be surprised when you look at the refunds, how much you gave, just because maybe it was a bad day for... Mm -hmm. You're one of your reservation agents or your guest experience team, and they give away a little more than they should. And maybe you can't share it with the owner, or even if you do, it's just money out the door. So that sums it up, Tim. Well, now it's time for not so hot off the press, but definitely happening. And there's a couple of things we want to call your attention to. This is sort of the education time for the spring. The mountain resorts are sort of winding down. The beach resorts are getting wound up. So VRMA has a couple of seminars coming up that we want to call your attention to. First of all, the Western Regional Seminar for VRMA is going to be held on March 26th and 27. It is at the Portland Marriott downtown waterfront. And so hope you've already registered for that because that's right on top of us. There's information there on vrma.org. Jason Young, who is a former senior executive of Southwest Airlines, is a keynote speaker on that one. And so that should be really good. And then I personally am really excited about the one in the east, which is April 16th and 17th. It's at the Hyatt Regency in Miami. Last year, we had 600 people come to the Savannah Eastern Regional Seminar. And I noted on the website, they already have, as of this recording right now, 66 suppliers signed up. So it's going to be a huge event. And they have a great keynote speaker, Sarah, somebody who you know very well. My BFF, John DeJulius, who I mention all the time. So I'm going to try to figure out how to get to Miami. (laughs) I love that guy, and I think you will not be disappointed by his presentation. Yeah, the presentation is called Be the Brand Your Guest Can't Live Without. And so that is going to be April 16th. First thing in the morning, John DeJulius will be there for VRMA. So look it up on their website and register if you haven't already. Uh, Speaking of not so hot off the press, but definitely happening, I want to thank those people who have already reached out to Be the Mac org slash spit for Riley. I posted a link on Facebook a few days ago. I think folks may have seen that on there. I'm kind of making fun of myself doing that, but we have had a great response on that, and we hope that everyone out there 
does follow through on that, and it's for a great cause. And also a couple of more days left for the poll that we posted two episodes ago where Steve Milo is looking for some feedback about online travel agents, and we want your feedback so we can wrap that poll up and he can use the data for both of these sessions that we just talked about and so that we can also do a podcast around this as well. So exciting stuff happening all over the place. And while you're being the brand that no one can live without, how do you squeeze 10% more out in profit? Let's sum it up. Go, Tim. I'm doing number one, price your properties properly. Number two, yield management. Even if it's manual, you can do this. Number three is travel insurance. Sell it, then resell it, and sell it one more time before they arrive. Number four, Tim's favorite word, fees. Figure out what fees work in your market. What do you want to call them? And get them on there. It can really get you more profit. Very good. Number five is cooperative income from referring businesses. You are the trusted source of information for your guests. Make some connections with area companies that might help you be more profitable. And number six, not for everybody, but marketing fees, whether it's offering an additional service that's optional for your owners, you could charge for that and help your bottom line. Number seven is maintenance plans. Some companies have them, some don't. If you are not currently doing this, consider it because it can drop cash to your bottom line. And number eight, housekeeping. It's expensive to clean. So do you charge for towels? Do you charge for mid-stay cleans? And do you have a housekeeping fee that is reasonable for different seasons to cover some of that cost? Number nine is a meaty one that we could probably do a whole podcast on, and that is New Income Streams is the title. Take a good look at your business. See what ancillary services are out there that you might be able to take over for yourself, expand your business, and make more money. And number 10, the ever-sexy banking. Ask about high-yielding money market accounts to your banker and see if you can make a little more money on that money that's just sitting there for months waiting to pay owners. And the additional one that we threw in is refunds. Make sure you're looking at this stuff. Know how much you're giving away and see if there's a way you can stop doing that. So that'll do it for this episode, Sarah. Don't forget, uh, folks, look us up on c to ski with sarahnt.com to see a historical perspective of all of our podcasts. We have 20 of them now on there. And Ooh. you can also find us on Facebook. You can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, everywhere podcasts are found. We also are on LinkedIn, by the way. I forgot to tell you that, Sarah. We're on LinkedIn as well. So exciting stuff as we continue to bring you the best from the vacation management world. Yep, and we want to hear how you're squeezing 10% out of expenses or income. So you post on Facebook. Tell us. Share with others. We are. We're sharing. (laughs) So have a good week, Tim, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Sarah. So long, everybody. See you. Thank you for listening to Sea to Ski with Sarah and T, Professional Vacation Rental Managers Podcast, brought to you by Sarah Bradford of Winter Park Lodging Company and Steamboat Lodging Company, as well as Tim Cafferty of Outer Banks Blue and Sandbridge Blue Realty Services. Together, Sarah and Tim manage more than 600 privately owned vacation rental properties, and both are regarded as experts in the vacation rental management industry. Music provided by Ben Sound. We encourage your participation on this podcast by sharing it with friends, and please feel free to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Comments or reviews on this particular podcast can be made on their website, Sea to Ski with SarahNT.com, where you can also subscribe to the podcast as well as provide them feedback on this episode or give them ideas for future topics. We look forward to speaking with you next time on Sea to Ski with Sarah and T.